We are Pro Cannabis Media. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of In the Weeds with Jimmy Young. And today we have a very special guest. I guess you could almost say this is a coast-to-coast interview because I'm on the East Coast outside of Boston, Mass. And Emma Chasen, and by the way, I'm hoping that is how you pronounce your last name. Yes, that's perfect. Emma (laughs) Chasen is out in Portland, Oregon on the left coast or the Pacific coast, if you will. So Emma, thank you so much for joining us today on In the Weeds. And I look forward to talking with you because you are all about online education about the cannabis sativa plant, correct? Yes. Yes, I am. And thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here today. Cool. Well, you're, you actually did spend some time on the East Coast in, at Brown University, I believe in Providence, Rhode Island. Am I right? You are right. And I am a born and raised New Yorker. So I, I was born and raised East Coast, but I did move out to Portland about five years ago. Well, I certainly won't hold the fact that you're against you that you're from New York because I'm from Boston and you know that whole mm. New York-Boston sports rivalry thing. But mm-hmm. um, <laughs> since, the, since the Boston teams have won so many championships in the 21st century, I don't even get into that anymore. Oh, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me a little bit. First of all, your major at Brown actually had something to do with plants, correct? Correct. Yes. So I was very fortunate to study undergrad at Brown where there is no core curriculum. So really they empower students to design whatever coursework resonates with them. And I was able to create a specialized track within the biology department where I looked at specifically medicinal plant research, pre-medical sciences, as well as ethnobotany. So the way in which indigenous peoples have used medicinal plants throughout history. Wow. And you practice that line because that was a great elevator pitch about your education and how (laughs) special that was for you. Uh, How in the world did you get interested in learning about plant medicine? Mm, So I grew up in quite a loud and robust Italian family full of very loud Italian women that actually had roots in plant medicine. So we are um, from an island in Italy called Ischia and my great great grandmother actually practiced a lot of the Italian folk tradition there brought that over with her to New York City when she immigrated and um, my family has kind of kept that tradition and so growing up we absolutely integrated different plant medicine as well as different um, spiritual modalities from that Italian folk tradition uh, since I can remember. So it's always been a part of my life. And then coming into Brown, I took a freshman year seminar titled Botanical Roots of Modern Medicine. And that's when it kind of clicked for me that, oh, I could study this more formally and actually try to devise a career path from it. And lo and behold, here we are in 2020 and cannabis has been legalized uh, by 11 states and the Washington DC area as well. Uh, I believe 33 uh, states have medical programs and it's now a political issue. I cannot believe I've lived to actually see this day where in my home state, my native state of Massachusetts, it's legal, it's here, and of course it's been deemed essential in so many other states during the COVID shutdown. So I pinch myself almost every day that I'm out here actually talking about cannabis and learning 
every day because I really do believe there is so much to learn and I am absolutely fascinated with the science behind the plant. The fact that they can actually dictate, or should I say you guys, you, you botanists out there, can actually dictate the DNA of the plant and what kind of effect it's going to have. I just can't believe we've gotten to this point. And I actually think we're still just scratching the surface. Am I right? Absolutely. Would agree. I, I am so excited about cannabis because there is such huge potential for discovery. I often compare it to like the space age, you know, where this is our new frontier. It's a brand new industry. And as you said, we are just scratching the surface of what we understand about this plant. There is still so much more to know specifically in the way that it interacts with our bodies. And that is full of excitement for me as a scientist. And of course, everybody has a different body and everybody has an endocannabinoid system. Every mammal has an endocannabinoid system in it. And just understanding what that system does and how it impacts our pain receptors and just our whole uh, behaviors is, is amazing unto itself. And every day it seems like they're discovering a new cannabinoid, another cannabidiol chemical. That's what they call the little chemicals, the CBDs and the CBNs, right? And, that, and the THCs. Yes, the cannabinoids. Yes. The cannabinoids. And it seems like every day they're discovering uh, new ones and finding out what that particular one does. But here, here's a question I always ask scientists, and I'm going to, I definitely consider you and respect you as a, as a scientist. The role of the terpene in the cannabis plant. Can you define, in layman's terms, what terpenes do as they interact with the THC and the CBD and the CBN that's in the cannabis plant? Yes. So terpenes are our aromatic compounds, and that means that they give plants their smell. They are found abundantly in most plants in nature, even some insects. However, they are highly concentrated in the cannabis plant. And from the plant's perspective, they're really, really good at fending off any kinds of pests, pathogens, or predators. So they have a lot of insecticidal properties, and they also have quite a pungent smell and taste. So for animals who would come and munch on the plant, they really deter those munchers from attacking the plant. So they help the plant's survival. However, when we as humans consume them, they also have therapeutic applications within our own body. And actually, they're able to work together synergistically, as we call it, with the cannabinoids to amplify the therapeutic potential of the experience. And they do this by interacting with many different receptor families and physiological factors and targets in our body. A really common one is the serotonin system, which most people know serotonin is kind of our happy molecule. It's our mood stabilizer. And there are a lot of terpenes that can actually influence this system to promote anxiety relief and mood elevation and euphoria. You know, you mentioned the odor of the cannabis plant and the role that the terpene plays in it. As you probably know, it, there's, a, there's a pungent odor to cannabis sativa. A lot of people either really like it or find it abhorrent. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. It, it, do it, will it ever exist that we will have a uh, odor-free cannabis sativa plant? 
You absolutely can, can breed a plant to have zero terpenes. And so if you do that, then yes, the odor is actually really vegetal. It just smells kind of like a vegetable. Um, and there are some varieties that definitely teeter towards that end of the spectrum. However, I, I would definitely encourage people if they say that they hate the smell, maybe they just haven't smelled the right terpene yet. There are some really bright citrusy notes. There are some really sweet um, kind of lavender notes to it. There are some spicy notes. I truly believe that there might be a smell for everybody out there. <laughs> and everybody has a smell. So there you go. <laughs> uh, so one of them I think is, is it myrcene and lemon, lemacine? Yeah, Myrcene you know, and limonene, so they, close. Yeah, right. That, that's, I've always been close, but unfortunately only in horseshoes because that helped me. <laughs> um, so back to, back to this combination, um, the terpene interaction with the THC and the CBD. And, you know, everybody knows CBD because of how that particular chemical, I believe, has been abused by the business community um, because, uh, as you know, um, Mitch McConnell, who we really don't like in the cannabis space, let's just say, mm -mm. Um, he did help pass the Farm Bill in December of 2018. And I always point the finger at him because he's anti-cannabis, but he doesn't realize that by passing the Farm Bill, he opened up the Pandora's box for CBD to be considered a legal substance. And now, of course, the DEA and the FDA are pointing fingers at each other and saying, no, it's your responsibility. No, it's your responsibility. Oh, well, it's only our responsibility if it's over 0.3% THC. And then it's your responsibility. And it makes my brain hurt just to sit here and try to understand all that. The CBD phenomenon, what's your uh, feeling about that and, and your opinions about where you think we might end up going using CBD and being having it more accepted, if you will, uh, in our products, whether that's drinking or food products. Sure. Yeah. I, I really think that CBD can be considered kind of a gateway, not only to cannabis, but also to plant medicine as a whole. So part of what I hope that the cannabis industry can really teach people is that there are a lot of varieties of plant medicine that we can use for preventative um, medicine in regards to just elevated health and wellness. And understandably so. There's a lot of trepidation around cannabis and THC in particular. The war on drugs did a number to people as far as their fear around cannabis. And what CBD is doing now, since it's nationally legal, it's allowing people to get a little bit more comfortable with plant medicine, with cannabis. I think that it is incredibly important that the CBD industry especially moves forward with some really smart regulations so that we can make sure that consumers consumers are receiving transparency as far as what's going into these products, how they're being tested, how the plant material is being grown, so that when people do choose to kind of take that leap and purchase that CBD oil, they can be assured that there is an accurate concentration of CBD, that there is no pesticides in that formula, and that it has been formulated and extracted for maximum therapeutic potential for the experience that the consumer is looking for. So I hope 
hope that from a regulatory perspective, that's that's the path that we go down. Otherwise, um, currently what's happening is that there are, is a lot of snake oil on the market. And so people who are interested in CBD, they're really excited about it. They go and purchase some CBD oil, but maybe it's not manufactured ethically or it's not tested property or it's just hemp seed oil that doesn't even have any CBD in there. And then what you get is a really frustrated consumer base who kind of loses any hope in plant medicine, right? So I, I think that there is the, the definitely optimistic um, option that this, this national CBD industry could, if regulated properly, really help people feel more comfortable with plant medicine, specifically cannabis. Yeah. How, how, how confident are you that our regulatory agencies will be doing that? <laughs> <laughs> We'll see what happens in November with the, with the change uh, around. <laughs> I'll tell you what, there's going to be a lot of people heading north of the border if uh, mm -hmm. a certain thing doesn't happen, let's just say. I, always try to, I try to avoid politics, but you know, it's amazing that the cannabis word is part of the divide uh, between Republicans and Democrats in Washington, D.C. I mean, it, I, I smile because I'm, I'm so frustrated by the whole political system right now. Uh, but that's, again, a, a story for, for another day. Um, do you find, is the CBD industry, at least the cannabis industry has the NCIA, the National Cannabis Industry Association. It has uh, lobbyists in Washington looking out for the cannabis industry. But CBD is just a, an offshoot of that. Do you find that the, the CBD world is, is being properly represented as, as far as lobbyists go? Or is it, again, just kind of a, let's throw it up against the wall and see what sticks? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's closer to the latter. I mean, there are definitely hemp associations, especially hemp grower associations that are advocating for better regulation um, and legislation around the agricultural perspective, especially as we move into more industrial hemp. However, from the, the CBD health and wellness standpoint, I mean, currently the FDA doesn't allow CBD to be formulated into any dietary supplement or edible product. And I mean, for any of us who have even a little bit of an understanding of the CBD industry, that's laughable because most of the products on the market are dietary supplements or in edible form. Um, and so it's kind of the wild, wild west out here where people are interpreting the rules as, as they do and, and kind of just, th like you said, throwing it up on the wall, seeing what sticks and kind of just crossing their fingers that, um, that, they, that the FDA doesn't take notice of them. Now, Oregon, um, one of the early adapters, if you will, uh, maybe not the earliest, but they, I believe they followed Washington State since California and Washington State had both, uh, I think we're a little bit further advanced than Oregon, but now Oregon had a, had a glut of supply and I believe they weren't able to do much with it. What's your, what's your current um, review and kind of opinion about the cannabis businesses in Oregon? Mm, so the market has definitely stabilized since that 2017 crash where we just had huge supply and very little demand. And I think that this can kind of launch into a conversation around the lack of consumer adoption and education. So Oregon is a state of around 
4 million people, only 14% of the market at the beginning of legalization were consuming cannabis. And that number stayed pretty steady. So there was no like large rate of consumer adoption. Whereas on the other side, the industry side, there was quite huge growth in the amount of companies that were coming onto the scene with this kind of false mindset, unfortunately, that it was the green rush. They were going to make a ton of money and just kill it because it's legal weed. Who doesn't love legal weed? Everybody's going to want to come by. And that's just not what happened. And even um, more sadly in Oregon, because we have such a black market legacy, there were a lot of outdoor family farms in Southern Oregon that joined the legal market, again, with the hope of um, going legal, making more money, and they just unfortunately did not have that experience. I mean, a lot of businesses um, shut down and there was a lot of consolidation of the market. Canadian companies came in, um, other companies from California came in and kind of bought up a lot of the landscape. I will say that craft still prevails in Oregon. Portland prides itself on craft beer, craft wine, craft food, and craft cannabis. And so there are a few mom and pop kind of craft boutique strongholds left. However, because of that glut, we saw a huge percentage of consolidation. Gotcha. And I don't know, did you get to see that Discovery Channel show that starred Jim Belushi this past week, uh, Growing Belushi, because it's about an Oregon farm. That's where he has his farm. Yes. You know, I haven't seen the first episode, but I actually was lucky enough to interview Jim Belushi for a radio show that I was on. And he has a really cool operation going down in Southern Oregon. Yes, he does. And I, I recommend the show because now I've watched it twice, um, obviously for educational purposes and entertainment purposes as well. I've always been a big fan of his and, of course, you know, idolized his late brother. And it was on this, this past show where Jim said basically that, look, if medical marijuana had been around during the time of the early days, the pioneering days of Saturday Night Live in the 70s, he believes his brother would still be alive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, Which is kind of sad, but it's, that is how he feels. And of course, now he has embraced the industry. And I did really enjoy the uh, program on, on many different fronts. And the character development is going to be fascinating. Um, I believe it is Captain Jack is the herb that he was so um, excited about being able to grow. And um, I just, the, the character of the grower. Now I'm going out on a limb thinking, you at one point, I believe I looked at your bio, you were a bud tender of the year at some yes. point out in Oregon. Yes? <laughs> yes, that is correct. How honored were you to be known as the bud tender of the year? I was quite honored to be Portland's best bud tender of 2016. Um, it was just uh, when I started my career in cannabis was 2015. So it was nice to be recognized by the people in that sense. So speaking of people, the character of the grower, how many interesting characters have you met who are just growers? Oh, I mean, so many. That's a great thing about being a bud tender is that you, you get to really see all sides of the industry. You get to meet people from all walks of life who are participating. And I would say that the role of the grower, they definitely have the the craziest stories. I mean, a lot of them had grown through prohibition. And so kind of the novel approaches that they took to just survive during that time, and also the deep love and reverence of the cannabis plant was something that was always so stunning to me. 
Oh, and, and for many people who have enjoyed it, perhaps even as long as I've enjoyed it, um, it, it there's always something new to learn, which kind of leads me into the next wave of questions about your online educational offerings. I've always said that you get to a point sometime in your age where you really do believe you have something to teach everyone. And it comes from experience, life experience, whether you have book knowledge about a specific subject or not. But I really do believe that everybody has something to teach everybody else. And in the cannabis universe, it's a vast, it's huge, and it's always growing. So how do you, as an educator, kind of narrow down to the basics of Cannabis 101? So I, I really pull on my academic experience as well as my experience working in oncology research to be able to digest down this kind of white paper information. So this scientific evidence, which is often laden with scientific jargon, and it's very hard to understand for somebody who does not have that kind of academic experience or training. When I started as a bud tender, I just noticed a huge vacuum of accessible education where kind of we had the, the extremes of these scientific research papers that have been published. THC is highly researched, so the information is there, but it's really hard to understand for the lay individual. Whereas on the other side, we had a lot of blogs and um, kind of media websites that would publish content, but it was really hard to verify the scientific legitimacy of that information. And then you have the industry prof professionals who really have no kind of standardized education or training in the workplace, especially this was over over five years ago. And it was kind of like, oh, you love to smoke weed? Great. You're behind the counter. Get ready to sell. Um, and to me, that was just such a disservice to the patient community who was asking questions that their doctors couldn't even answer. And it was also a liability on the side of the business. And so I... I set about to create this curriculum that really nailed down the fundamentals of cannabis science so that bud tenders as well as other industry professionals could best predict experience for patients and consumers alike. And because I did work in the role of bud tender and I also was a general manager of the shop and then I eventually carved out a role as director of education for myself, I was really able to do the market research to take this curriculum through many iterations to kind of piece it down until I found the exact kind of recipe for what I believe that any bud tender should know before they go out there and they make their first sale. And of course, I had a bad experience with the first time I dealt with a bud tender with my medical card in 2013. I was trying to, I think of the first words I said to him, I said, look, I don't want to smoke it anymore. There's got to be a million different ways to ingest it and get the same kind of buzz, if you will. And I was told uh, to try an edible product and was given bad advice about the amount of that edible product. And like so many others out there who have tried edible for the first time, uh, perhaps too much that first, you can certainly bite off more than you should be chewing. Mm -hmm. And therein lies the old, you start low and you go slow, like two and a half milligrams as an entry level dose. And I believe my first dose was 33 milligrams. Ooh. But 
I woke up at 4 a.m. The room was spinning. I lived to tell the story. It's kind of my philosophy of life anyway. Um, I don't ever want to have 33 milligrams of an edible again, nor have I. But it, you hear some of these stories a lot from people. And I'm going out on a limb thinking you too have had a few. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've experienced that myself. I also had a friend who went into a dispensary here in Oregon, and this was just a year ago. So at this point, I mean, comparatively, we're a relatively mature market. And um, he was actually looking for something for his dad who doesn't consume a lot of cannabis, but was in a lot of pain, just looking for some pain relief, again, in an edible form. And the bud tender was like, oh, here, take this chocolate bar, have him eat the whole chocolate bar, which is 50 milligrams of THC. He'll be so high, he won't even feel anymore. And luckily, I mean, my friend knows me, knows what I do, hears me talk about this all the time and was like, actually I had to school the bud tender and be like, no, give me something with a little bit of CBD in there. We're talking about a starting dose of five milligrams of THC, like really take the bud tender through that educational experience. But to me, what's scary is that for people who don't know what they're doing, they're putting their full trust into this person. And while cannabis does not yet have a defined lethal dose, so it can't kill you, it still is a highly uncomfortable experience. And as I mentioned earlier in our conversation, I mean, in order to increase the rate at which the consumer market is adopting cannabis, we need to make sure that people who are interested are having at least not a bad experience right off the bat. Right. Because people who do have that scary experience, often what happens is they say, oh, no, 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 not for me, <laughs> not for me. I don't want to go through that again. That's exactly, for sure. Exactly, exactly. Whereas like really it could have been for you if you were given proper guidance and instruction on how to microdose and safely and effectively experiment with this plant until you find out what works for you. Right, and that is so important. Um, you know, one of the things that is lost in the translation throughout this whole thing is it, it's truly plant medicine. You know, sure, there's some fun to it. There's definitely adult use recreation that gets involved with this, okay? Everything in small doses is important. Our, we preach um, responsible use of cannabis and to educate yourself about this medicine because we, we are all our own doctors and we're self-medicating with this plant. And, you know, what works for me may not work for you. And especially in the doses that I might take versus you. And that could do, that could have a lot to do with your experience with the plant. It could also have a lot to do with uh, metabolism. And also, are you uh, awakening your endocannabinoid system for the very first time? And therein lies another challenge to people because they'll try it. Nothing happened. I don't get it. So an hour later, two hours later, I'm going to take it again. Next thing I know, the room's spinning again. So uh, how, how, obviously, education, to me, drives the bus here. All of us who are in this industry have an obligation to the public to educate the public. You agree? 
I could not agree more, could not agree more. And I think that it really has to start with this shift from the allopathic model, meaning the, the Western medicine approach of you take a pill, you take a standardized dose of that pill, you will get a subset of effects, whether they be positive or negative, but they're predictable. And we need to move it into a more nutraceutical approach where botanical medicine lives, where there is no standardized dose for people where four milligrams of THC could give me the same effect that 40 milligrams of THC could give somebody else. And so it's important again to really ground in in the reality of it's gonna take a little bit of experimentation to find what works for you, but our job as industry professionals and guides is to make sure that we are mitigating any of the uncomfortable side effects by adopting and encouraging strategies such as microdosing, keeping a consumption journal, making sure that people feel really safe and empowered to experiment with themselves in a way that's not going to hurt them. A consumption journal, that's a great term. I'm gonna remember that. In fact, I actually think I read something recently that there's either an app in development or it already exists that you can download for free and keep track of your intake and what was in it as far as the, the combinations. Have you heard of anything like that? Yes, I know of a couple apps on the market. One of them uh, that comes to mind immediately is Relief. And of course the leaf is spelled like leaf on a plant um, yeah. where you are able to track the time of day, the way that you're consuming, what compounds are in that product, how much you consumed. And for me, it's also really important to take note of kind of set and setting. So how much water did you drink? Did you get in a fight with your partner? Are you really stressed out? I mean, what's going on with you apart from what you're consuming as that will have influence on the experience. And how much alcohol do you have in your system when you partake? Oh, yeah. Another big, big one that will definitely influence the experience. Eight, uh, one of the doctors I interviewed eight times, eight times the magnification is pretty much what this doctor of cannabis, Jordan Tischler, he's a, they call him, um, what do they call him? He's Harvard educated, undergrad in Harvard, Harvard Medical, um, oh, Preparation H, that's what they call themselves. And uh, he is the one who came out with the eight times uh, of a catalyst. Uh, and I, I'll be perfectly honest, again, if you are taking an edible and then you go out and drink on top of that, you are, you are playing with your brain in many mm -hmm. ways, right? Oh, absolutely. I, I definitely do not encourage the, the combining of the substances. I mean, being crossfaded, as we call it, um, is an intense experience that often ends in a spinning head and you in front of a toilet bowl. <laughs> That's right. And Lord knows I'm human. I, I'll admit I, it's not something I ever want to do again. I'll be honest. Mm -hmm. uh, I try to avoid that. And let's talk about that experience just for a second, because I love getting advice from people, educated people like yourself, scientists, educators. Okay, you know you've had too much. There's all sorts of what they call, um, you know, different anecdotes, uh, different ways to control that. What do you recommend? And please tell me it's not chomping down on black peppercorns. <laughs> no, it is not. Though I do understand where that kind of urban legend came in to play. And I do think it, it's fun, but um, not my go-to, I'll have to say. I think that, I mean, first and foremost, 
water. Drink as much water as you can and make sure that you are in a place where you feel safe and you're with people that you trust. I think that, again, the set and setting aspect is really important. Then to kind of bring you down, I mean, there are products on the market right now specifically designed for this. Um, Undo is an example of a capsule that you can take and it uh, un undoes your high. Um, there is also CBD, which is right. available, you know, and, and that will help to really bring down the intoxicating effects of THC. Now, I will say that it is important um, to note that CBD is most effective in doing that when you have consumed THC in a relatively low dose. So if you took, I mean, 200 milligrams of THC, then it may not help at that point, you know, <laughs> but if you, if you consumed maybe 10 10 milligrams of THC and had some alcohol on top of that and are just feeling really kind of out of your mind, then consuming some CBD may help to bring you back down a little bit, help to mitigate the more uncomfortable side effects like anxiety, paranoia, elevated heart rate, etc. So if you have a bottle in the cupboard that has 270 milligrams of CBD, straight CBD in an oil dropper, like I have, um, do you take the whole dropper? Do you chug the whole bottle? I mean, how do you know how much CBD to counter the high you've gotten from your THC? I mean, it's hard. It's not an exact science. And like, like we've been saying, every body has a different body, right? Everybody's right. unique. And so everybody will respond differently. And it will also depend on how much THC you've taken initially. I'll say that the most important thing, if you have CBD oil, is to make sure that you keep it under your tongue for as long as possible. So that will allow it to go directly into the bloodstream and it'll activate a lot quicker rather than having to go through, through your digestive system and through your liver, that'll just take a little bit longer. Um, and by the time it reaches your system, you may have already kind of calmed down. So I'd start with, I mean, 10 to 15 milligrams of CBD under the tongue for as long as possible and, and see how that makes you feel. There you go. And I think that's actually great advice. And I just wonder, um, any of our first responders out there, because Lord knows this happens. You know, the, I remember reading in Colorado when they first uh, opened up their market to adult use and they talked about the emergency room visits are up because of people's, you know, inexperience and they're taking too much and all this neat stuff. And I wonder, are they using straight CBD in ambulances, in first responders, in emergency rooms? Have you heard of that use? Is there a is there any kind of a practicum out there? You know, I haven't heard of that use. And, and in fact, I really don't know if it's happening. If it is, I'll be surprised. The only place that I know of um, that they at least allow or they are amenable to the use of CBD oil is in hospice care. So end of life, palliative care. That seems to be the kind of section of more Western medical approach that will allow um, that kind of CBD oil, even in some places will allow THC cannabis just to help increase the quality of life for that end of life experience. There you go. Um, it probably beats morphine, I'm just saying, although... Exactly. Uh, I'll never forget when I had my emergency back surgery, having that morphine drip in that little plunger thing, that little button, that was, that was pretty cool. Um, of course, they limit the amount you can touch that button, you know, let's just say, but um, that, that was another story for another day. I want to ask you about plant diet. 
plant-based diets. Um, how familiar are you with them? Do you see the superiority of them? A lot of people are moving towards that. And with the uh, plant-based diet comes this plant along, you know, for fun or medicine. Um, what's, what's your feeling about a plant-based diet? Is it superior to the meat and potatoes that a lot of us live off? Mm, so I am familiar with the plant-based diet. I don't practice it myself, mm -hmm. but I do believe that food is medicine. And I also believe that medicinal plants do hold a lot of value in our medicine cabinet as um, preventatives. I will say that again, coming back to this idea that every single body is unique, right? Mm -hmm. So I can't really tell you what's going to be best for your body. And I think that we also need to open up the conversation to really look at um, the societal implications such as food deserts and the communities that maybe don't have access to fresh produce and what that looks like for people. I, I think that it can do more harm to, than good for people's mental and emotional health to say, hey, you should be on a plant-based diet for your physical health. And if you're not, that's actually really bad for you. And it's really bad for the planet. Well, if somebody lives in a rural community where they don't have access to fresh produce, maybe their closest grocery store is a gas station that's 30 miles down the road, um, it would be a significant financial and mental and emotional impact for them to have to travel to try to find that produce. You know, it just may not be feasible for them, right? So I think that anytime we talk about diet, anytime we talk about what people put in their body, we always need to examine where they're at in life and what's feasible for them. I have seen the research and the scientific evidence around um, moving towards a more plant-based diet. So still consuming maybe some dairy, some meat, some fish, and, and seeing how that has long-term positive effects on health. However, I, I just don't think that we can tell people what to do in that regard without really addressing the more, um, the more community-based like initiatives that would need to occur for that to happen. Hey, one last question uh, before I let you give a little plug for your course and how people can find you. Um, in Oregon, it's a mature market. It's been around for a few years. Are you finding that your politicians and your representatives are more well-versed now on cannabis? And have you ever been asked by a legislative body to come in and perhaps educate them on it? Mm, so I wouldn't say that they're more well-versed in cannabis science per se, but they do love the program. I mean, it's making the state a lot of money and with politicians, I mean, no matter what side of the aisle, money talks, right? And so in May alone, I believe that Oregon made over a hundred million dollars in just one month from just cannabis. And so that is huge. So we've seen a lot of support for, for the cannabis program from our politicians because of that economic advantage. I'd still say that most legislators are um, grossly undereducated around cannabis. And my goal in what I do is to push at least enough consumer education and industry education so that we can lobby for better regulation and legislation from the top down in regards to requiring training and education for our industry to be able to allow it to just ethically evolve. That's it. And how do people find you? So please find me at my website. My company is Eminent Consulting. The website 
website is eminentconsultingfirm.com. And from there, you can read more about me, our services, as well as see a big, nice button to our online courses. There you go. All right, Emma Chasen from Portland, Oregon. Again, thank you so much for chit-chatting with me. Uh, it's been a pleasure to talk more about this with you. I love talking education with anyone. And you obviously have your hands uh, pretty well set on what you like to teach, how you teach, and backing it up with science. And that, that's terrific. I, I wish you the best of luck in the future. Well, thanks so much, Jimmy. It was amazing to be on here and, and chat with you. The pleasure was all mine. All right. So for Emma, Jason, I'm Jimmy Young from In the Weeds. Remember, it's a whole new world of weed out there. Use it responsibly. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We Talk Now, We Talk News, and In the Weeds are all available on most major podcast distributors like iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and our friends at clnsmedia.com and our flagship, cannabis.net. So subscribe, share, and like our videos on all the social media networks out there, including LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, The Weed Tube, and YouTube. Weed Talk and In the Weeds are two productions of pro-cannabis media supported by Revolutionary Clinics, one of the top medical cannabis dispensaries in the Massachusetts area, now with three locations in Greater Boston, two in Cambridge, and one on Broadway in Somerville. Rev Clinics has a patient-first mission. They will customize your needs as a medical patient with the proper titration and combination of strains, flavors, and products. Rev Clinics, where the patient comes first. We are Pro Cannabis Media.